Welcome to Her Story Sessions. I'm Brittany, a woman on a mission to learn more about women throughout history and to share it all with you. If you like this show, be sure to follow me. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Her Story Session and can be emailed at herstorysessionspodcast at gmail.com. As the last Tudor monarch and the daughter of the most infamous of Henry VIII's wives, Anne Boleyn, Queen Elizabeth I is a well-known name for anyone familiar with the history of English monarchy. She ruled for over 40 years, and her reign brought stability and prosperity back to the kingdom. The fact that she even became queen at all is somewhat surprising, as chances of that happening were pretty low. But she did take the throne and made history while on it. Her parents' marriage was heavily controversial. While the Pope would not allow an annulment for King Henry VIII from his first wife, Queen Catherine of Aragon, King Henry broke with the Catholic Church, making his own English church and taking the entire country with him. He then declared his first marriage annulled and married Anne Boleyn, hoping she would be able to give him a son. But Anne's only successful pregnancy was with Elizabeth. Princess Elizabeth was born at Greenwich Palace on September 7, 1533. When she was born, she was the heir presumptive to the throne. King Henry's only other child born within wedlock was Princess Mary, but she had been declared illegitimate after the annulment of King Henry and Queen Catherine. Princess Elizabeth's place in the succession line would change multiple times over the years, though. While she was just two years and eight months old, King Henry had his marriage to Anne annulled, and Anne was charged with adultery and executed. Elizabeth was declared illegitimate and taken out of the succession line. Her father then promptly did his best to forget about her and neglected to pay or provide any sort of finances or resources to care for his daughter. Lady Margaret Bryan, the governess with whom Anne Boleyn had entrusted her daughter's care to, would petition tirelessly for anyone to try to get them to bring the matter up to the king and get him to provide for her. From her letters, it's obvious that Lady Bryan cared very much for the little Elizabeth. Even when she was very young, Elizabeth was declared as a vibrant, eloquent child. Eventually, King Henry was convinced by Lady Bryan to provide for her, and she was left in the care of a much smaller household staff than she previously had when she held the status of princess, but she had what she needed. Then her first stepmother, King Henry's Third wife, Jane Seymour, gave birth to a long-awaited son, Prince Edward. But Jane did not survive, dying of childbirth complications. Elizabeth, only four at the time, was placed in her newborn brother's household and carried the baptismal cloth at his christening. Being in her brother's household meant that the crown financially provided for her and she would also be raised as a Protestant with him. Lady Bryan was transferred to the services of Prince Edward, and Catherine Champernone, later known as Cat Ashley, became her new governess. Cat would remain in Elizabeth's services for the rest of her life, becoming a sort of surrogate mother and friend. She taught the young Elizabeth French, Dutch, Italian, and Spanish, and when William Grindle came to tutor her in 1544, she could also write in English, Latin, and Italian. With Grindle, she also learned French and Greek. By the time she was 12, she was able to translate her new stepmother, Catherine Parr's religious work, Prayers or Meditations, into Italian, Latin, and French, and she presented the translations as a New Year's Day gift to her father. Throughout the rest of her life, she would translate many classical works. It's also believed that later in life, she could also speak Welsh, Cornish, Scottish, and Irish. A Venetian ambassador stated in 1603 that she, quote, 
possessed these languages so thoroughly that each appeared to be her native tongue. After her tutor, Grindel, passed away in 1548, she would share a tutor with her brother, and by the time her formal education was finished in 1550, she was one of the best educated women of her generation. In 1543, with the intervention of Catherine Parr, King Henry returned his daughters to the line of succession behind their younger brother. She was now third in line for the throne, behind Edward and her older sister Mary. King Henry died in 1547, and Edward, just nine years old, became king. Catherine Parr married Thomas Seymour, and 14-year-old Elizabeth was put under their guardianship, moving into their household in Chelsea. There, she was put through a traumatic time. Thomas would come into her room at night in just his nightgown, tickle her, and slap her bottom. Catherine joined in a few times rather than confront her husband about the behavior and once held Elizabeth down while Thomas cut her black gown, quote, into a thousand pieces. To avoid any unwelcome morning visits, Elizabeth would get up early in the morning and surround herself with maids. Then Catherine caught the two of them hugging and decided it was time to send Elizabeth away in May of 1548. Thomas still wanted to hold some sort of control over the royal family, though, first trying to get himself appointed to governor of the king's person. In September of 1548, Catherine died after childbirth, and Thomas turned back to Elizabeth, trying to marry her. In January, Thomas was arrested and imprisoned in the tower on suspicion of conspiring to depose Somerset as the protector, marry Lady Jane Grey to King Edward VI, and marry Elizabeth himself. Elizabeth herself was interrogated, but admitted nothing, and in March, Thomas was executed for treason. Her brother, Edward, reigned for only six years, dying of an illness when he was just 15. In his will, he ignored the succession act that his father had put in place that named Mary and Elizabeth as the next in line. He declared his teenage cousin, Lady Jane Grey, a Protestant, as his heir rather than his sister, Mary, who was a Catholic. But Lady Jane Grey's support crumbled quickly, and the people supported Mary. After nine days, she was deposed, and Mary rode into London and took control of the throne. But Mary was a Catholic and resolved to bring the nation back under Catholicism. She ordered that everyone must attend Catholic Mass. Elizabeth was raised as a Protestant, but was forced to comply, at least outwardly. Mary enforced strict religious policies, and many were executed during her reign for refusing to comply with them. Mary then lost even more popularity when she announced her intention to marry the devout Catholic Philip of Spain, and many people began to look to Elizabeth to oppose her sister's policies. Several rebels did approach Elizabeth, but it's unlikely she agreed to work with any of them. When Wyatt's rebellion broke out in 1554 and was suppressed, Elizabeth was brought to court and interrogated to see if she had a role in it and was imprisoned in the Tower of London, although she protested that she was innocent. Elizabeth's supporters in the government convinced Mary to spare her since there was no hard evidence and she instead spent almost a year under house arrest. The next year, when it seemed that Queen Mary was pregnant, Elizabeth was recalled to court to attend to her. If she had a child, then Elizabeth would again lose her place in succession. It turned out to be a false pregnancy, though, and it was believed that the queen could no longer have a baby, meaning that Elizabeth would undoubtedly be the next monarch. In 1558, Queen Mary became ill, and King Philip sent the Count of Feria to consult with Elizabeth. In that October, Elizabeth was already making plans for her own government. 
On November 6th, Mary recognized Elizabeth as her heir and then passed away on November 17th. At 25, Elizabeth became queen. During the triumphal progress through the city the day before her coronation, the citizens welcomed her wholeheartedly, greeting her with orations and pageants, many with strong Protestant tones. Although they were happy to have her as queen, many were still worried about what they perceived as the Catholic threat at home and abroad. To deal with religious upheaval in the country, Elizabeth wanted a solution that was Protestant at its core to please the English Protestants, but would not offend the Catholics too much. She would not tolerate the Puritans and their far-reaching reform demands because of that. The Parliament came up with legislation for a Protestant church with the monarch at its head, but it still had many Catholic elements, like the vestments, which is the garments the priests wear. And although her father had the title of Supreme Head, Elizabeth was forced to take the title Supreme Governor of the Church of England instead, because many thought that a woman having the title Supreme Head was too unacceptable. Heresy laws were repealed to prevent the persecution that had happened under Mary's reign from happening again, although attendance at church and using the 1552 adapted version of the Book of Prayer became compulsory. The punishments for breaking these were much less extreme than they had been, though. Many worried over who she would choose to marry, too. In the end, she never married or had children, but from the beginning of the reign, it was assumed that she would eventually marry. She received plenty of marriage offers and considered suitors up until she was 50. But she had to keep in mind the political effects of any marriage and the possible loss of a power to a husband. Marriage negotiations still made a key part of her foreign policy. King Philip, her late sister Mary's widower, proposed to her right after she became queen, but she quickly turned him down. She entertained marriage to plenty of European royalty and nobles over time, but it was obvious to many from the beginning that she was really in love with her childhood friend, Robert Dudley. He was married by now, but it was rumored that his wife was suffering from a malady in one of her breasts, and the queen had remarked that should his wife die, she would like to marry him. Then, in 1560, his wife did die from a fall down a flight of stairs. And while it was ruled an accident, many believe that Dudley had arranged for it to happen so that he'd be free to marry the queen. She did seriously consider it for some time, and he would be a possible candidate for nearly a decade, but those around her made it abundantly clear that they wholeheartedly disapproved this match, and the rumors circulated that nobility would rise up against her if she went ahead with it. Elizabeth was always extremely jealous of anyone receiving affection from him, even after it was clear that she wouldn't marry him. When he finally remarried in 1578, 18 years after his first wife had died, Elizabeth held a lifelong hatred for and repeatedly showed displeasure with his new wife. In 1563, Elizabeth came down with smallpox, and afterward, Parliament members begged her to either marry or name an heir, and the question of succession became a heated issue. In 1570, after seven years of pushing the issue, senior government members began to privately accept that she would never marry or name an heir. She was accused of being irresponsible for this, but she refused to name an heir for her political security. She knew if she did, a coup surrounding them could possibly rise up. She had been the, quote, second person that plots against her sister had been focused on. Ultimately, she claimed that she was married to her kingdom and subjects under divine protection. 
She did have a threat to her reign and her cousin, Mary, Queen of Scots, though. Mary was a Catholic and the granddaughter of King Henry's older sister, Margaret. Many English Catholics saw her as the true heir to the throne instead. Mary was raised in France and married to the French prince, Francis. After his death three years into their marriage, Mary returned to Scotland in 1561 to take control, and she found that the country had established Protestant churches and was run by a council of Protestant nobles supported by Elizabeth, put into place by the Treaty of Edinburgh, which had been signed the year before. Mary refused to sign this treaty. In 1565, she married Henry Stuart, who had his own claim to the English throne. Their son James would one day become the King of Scotland and England, uniting the two kingdoms. But her husband was unpopular, and this was the first decision that led to her downfall. In 1567, Henry Stuart was murdered by conspirators, most likely led by James Hepburn, who Mary married just a few months later. And this raised suspicions that she was involved in her late husband's murder. This, too, was a bad decision on her part. Elizabeth wrote to her, confronting her about the new marriage. How could a worse choice be made for your honor than in such haste to marry a subject, who besides other and notorious lacks, public fame has charged with the murder of your late husband, besides the touching of yourself also in some part, though we trust in that behalf falsely. These events led to her imprisonment and forced abdication of the throne, and her son James was taken away to be raised elsewhere as a Protestant. After a year, she escaped and fled to England, where she was sure Elizabeth would support her. At first, Elizabeth wanted to restore her, but she and her council decided to play it safe and imprisoned her, holding her for 19 years. Mary became the focus of rebellion, and after the Babington plot and the Pope backing Mary, Queen of Scots, as the legitimate queen, Elizabeth was persuaded in 1586 to go ahead and sanction the trial and execution, and in February 1587, Mary, Queen of Scots, was beheaded. Elizabeth's reign is sometimes referred to as England's Golden Age or Elizabethan England. She was a highly educated woman, and under her reign, more grammar schools would be created than during any of the previous Tudor monarchs. Education for women was improved, and it was now expected, rather than merely encouraged, that young women of the noble and upper middle classes were educated. One source I found even states that Queen Elizabeth would only employ young women that were educated as her personal attendants and servants. She established an English church that helped shape a national identity and is still in place today. Although her foreign policy was largely defensive, she raised the status of England abroad, and for a time the nation prospered under her. She was the first tutor that recognized the monarch ruled by popular consent, and as such worked with parliament and advisors that would tell her the truth, not just what she wanted to hear. In 1602, many of her friends that she was close to passed away, and Elizabeth went into a severe depression. The loss of yet another friend in February of 1603 pushed her even farther, and she became sick, remaining in a, quote, settled and unremovable melancholy, and sat motionless on a cushion for hours on end. When Robert Cecil, a close and longtime advisor, told her that she must go to bed, she snapped, must is not a word to use the prince's little man. Queen Elizabeth herself passed away on March 24, 1603, in the early morning hours at Richmond Palace at 69 years old and after ruling for 44 years. 
She was interred at Westminster Abbey next to her sister, and in Latin is the inscription, Consorts in Realm and Tomb, Here We Sleep, Elizabeth and Mary, Sisters in Hope of Resurrection. She would be remembered as a heroine of the Protestant cause and the ruler of a golden age. She's still a popular historical figure today and has been portrayed more often in film and on TV than any other British monarch. That's all for today, and thank you for attending this Her Story session.